how not to save the world. It's pretty obvious our world needs saving. I mean, we're still in a global pandemic. You look at the political tribalism that's trying to tear our country apart. You look at the racism that still exists in so many people and in so many places. And that's just a few of the problems we're dealing with right here in our own country. Not to mention global poverty and and lack of access to quality education around the world and the fact that slavery still exists in our world. We can look at all those problems and go, yes, the world needs saving. But there are ways to get involved and try to save the world, and there are ways not to save the world. And what we're doing in this series that is based on the book from our very own teaching pastor, Hosanna Wong, How Not to Save the World, each week we are looking at a lie that keeps us from engaging in God's redemptive purposes in the world. And then we're looking at the opposite truth that says this is how we engage in God's purposes in the world. So we're going to jump right in today. Go ahead and uh, open your app if you want to take notes today. I want to welcome everybody here in Chula Vista, inside, everybody sitting outside, everybody online. Thank you for being a part of this today. And here is the lie that is definitely the way not to save the world. Here's the lie that we're going to look at today. The lie is I must rely on my own power to save the world. In other words, I'm smart enough, right? I am wealthy enough. I can fix it. I can solve it. You know what? what and maybe not the whole world, but maybe that one little thing. And we're like, I can do it. And we can all fall into that. But the truth where we're really going to spend all of our time today The way that we get involved in God's redemptive purposes in the world is by really understanding and living out this truth. Here it is if you're taking notes. I must rely on God's power to save the world. Our world needs saving, and God can do it, and he will do it. We need his power, not ours. But make no mistake about it. The most important mission in the world will absolutely require our participation. And God invites us to partner with him in his plan for redemption. And so what I want to do today is I want to spend the rest of our time, I'm going to tell you one story that comes from one chapter in the Bible. We're going to read through an entire chapter of the Bible today. And we're going to look at this story that's going to help us see what it looks like for somebody in their real life to rely on God's power. What does that mean? What does it look like to trust in God more than you trust Yourself, And we're going to look at just a little portion of a person's story by the name of Elijah. Now let me set up the story for you. Uh, Elijah was one of the first of many important prophets that God sent to the kingdom of Israel to try to get them to turn from their sin and turn back to God. Elijah was the first of many prophets that would do that. And so the part of the Elijah's life and story we're going to read, it takes place in ninth cent- the ninth century BC, so a little while ago. Um, and at this time, Elijah shows up because the king of the nation of Israel, God's people, the Jewish people, had split into two kingdoms at this point in history, southern kingdom, northern kingdom, Israel, Judah. And all the kings in Israel Unfortunately, none of them had a heart for God. None of them led God's people towards him. They all were bad kings. And the latest in a long line of bad kings was this guy named Ahab. 
Now, Ahab married an outsider, a foreigner, not a Jewish woman. He, named this, this Phoenician, he married this Phoenician woman uh, whose name was Jezebel. And Jezebel brought with her from her foreign city uh, pagan worship to the god Baal. Now, here's what you need to know about Baal. You need to know this to understand the story we're going to read today. Baal was the god of the sky or the weather god, if you will. And people prayed and worshiped Baal because he was the one that brought the rain, that made bountiful harvest and crops so that the people of that land and kingdom would be blessed. And so Ahab, king of Israel, right? Like God's people, to appease his wife, he builds this pagan temple in Israel to the god Baal and leads everybody in the nation, seemingly everybody, majority, away from the one true God, Yahweh, and they start worshiping Baal. And this is where Elijah comes in. God sends Elijah to confront Ahab and Jezebel for their sin. And so we're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 17. Here we go. Let's look at what happens. This part of the story is called the drought. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel. In other words, he's saying, hey, hey, the true God of these people, right? Not, not this fake God that you've been worshiping. As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, you're serving this other, you know, God, Baal, but the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, here's the reality. It takes courage to tell a king, I know you think you're successful. I know you think you're doing a good job. But because of your sin, because you lead people away from the one true God, God is going to punish you. And he's going to punish the whole nation with a drought. It's not going to rain again until I give the word. In other words, he was saying, no rain no crops, no crops, no food, no food, chaos in the land, right? I mean, that's basically what he says to the king. Now think about it. This claim of a drought was a dramatic display against the pagan god Baal. Because remember, who was Baal? The god of what? Weather, the sky god. So in other words, Elijah says, we're just going to set up a challenge. The God you're worshiping, supposedly that's the one that makes it rain. Yeah, it's not going to rain because the one true God says it's not. Let's see who wins. Now, as you can imagine, powerful people don't like being threatened. And if you read on in the rest of the story, Ahab and Jezebel, they wanted Elijah dead. But look at what God does to protect him. Let's keep reading verse 2. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide. <laughs> like you need, you need to get away. Hide by the Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, camped beside the brook east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, this story has already gotten crazy, hasn't it? Because I think sometimes we read the Bible and we take the people that are in the stories and we don't think of them as real people. Can you imagine if you felt like God said, hey, people are going to kill you. You need to run away and hide, but don't worry. The birds will bring you food. 
I mean, that's really what was said here. I mean, we would hear that and be like, this is crazy. This makes no sense, right? Like, but, but here's what you see in Elijah's story is that he listened to God and he trusted him every step of the way. And think about it. What we read, he didn't have any guarantees. God didn't say, go confront the king, but it's going to be okay. He just said, go confront the king. And Elijah listened and he obeyed. And then the second thing, he said, hey, hey, you need, you need to protect yourself. And so go to this little hidden place. You're going to have water to keep you alive. And I'm going to have birds come bring you food. He had, I mean, how does he know this is going to happen? But the lesson we learn from this little passage of scripture, God is growing Elijah's faith every step of obedience he takes. And this is how God works. And this is how he grows our faith. And so here's the first lesson in this story. Write this down if you're taking notes. The first lesson is this, learn to listen to and obey God. If you want your faith to grow, if you want to have strong faith in God, it starts from learning to listen to God and hear his voice. And then once God speaks to you, you actually do whatever it is God says to do. You actually follow him. So we have to ask the question, how in the world do we hear God's voice today? Because here's the reality. The way you and I hear God's voice today is probably not the way Elijah heard God's voice. I don't know for sure how he heard his voice, but we do know this. There are stories in the Old Testament where prophets and people of God, like they would hear audible voices. I've never heard an audible voice of God before. Most people I know haven't heard audible voices of God. Like that's just not how God speaks. So how does God primarily speak to us today? Here's how God speaks to us. The primary way God speaks to us today is through Scripture. It's through his word. When we read God's word, when God's word is preached like it's being right now, where we're reading the stories of God and we're saying, how can I learn and apply this and follow faithfully? This is how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit that if we're a believer lives inside of us. It's that still small voice. Have you ever had a thought to do something that you knew was too good and too true that you would never think of that yourself? Have you ever had that where you're like, I would never do that, but that seems like the right thing to do. That's probably the Holy Spirit. And so we need to learn to listen to God. The problem is most of us, at most, maybe we're giving God an hour of our time like we are today, which you're here today, good on you. I'm proud of you as your pastor, way to go. There's a lot of other things you could be doing and prioritizing, but you've prioritized this moment to say, man, I want to be with God's people and worshiping God and encountering his presence. Because friends, something supernatural happens when the church gathers together. That's different than if you're just by yourself. It's true. It's, it's unique and it's different. But if this is the only time in your week where you're like, okay, God, I'm going to let you speak. You're going to spiritually starve. How many of you only eat one meal a week? Hold your hands up. Right? I mean, besides me, who only eats one. Why you laugh? Yeah, no, I mean, right? Like, like if you want to be, have nutrition and be fueled, you eat. The same principle is true spiritually. So if God primarily speaks through his word, here's the reality. What you're doing today is really, really good. You should do it every week. Right? But learning to hear God's voice through scripture on your own is super, super important. This is how God speaks to us. 
So let me tell you the resource that I've used for the last two years. I've shared this with our church. Now, literally hundreds of people in our church, this is how they spend time in God's word, learning to listen to God every single day, is through something called the Bible in One Year app. Most mornings, this is how I start my day. They have an audible version where you can have it read to you. There are scriptures to read. There's a commentary to explain what you just heard, how to apply it to your life, and a prayer to play, a prayer to pray. I don't know. You can play prayer? I don't know. But um, yeah, and a prayer. And so here's the thing. There's, if you followed it every day for a year, you would read or listen to the whole Bible in one year. And so that's what I use. That's what hundreds of people in our church now use. If you don't want to do the full version, because sometimes that full version can take up like 20, 25, you know, minutes uh, if you're listening to it or maybe reading it, there's an express version. It's always 10 minutes or less. And there is a teenage version, like for, uh, for uh, high school, middle school uh, students. And so I'd encourage you to, to check that out. But if we will give God a chance to speak, here's what I know. He will. If we will give God a chance to speak, he will. And once he speaks, then we have to be willing to do what Elijah did, which is simply obey and follow. And why is that so important? Here's why. Because Elijah only experienced the blessing of God's protection and provision at the brook after he obeyed. You see, many of us, we want the blessing of God and the protection of God and the provision of God before we obey. We want the guarantee without any faith. And that's not the way God works. That's not the way it works. God says he always acts on our faith. And so some of us wonder why things are still not going the way we want or hope or prayed. And perhaps we should look at what God has already asked us to do that we're still not doing. Where has God already spoken to us in the past, but we haven't yet followed we haven't yet obeyed. I mean, has God asked you to honor him with your body, yet you're still sleeping around? Or have you felt the prompting of God to share his story and your faith with a friend, but you just haven't had the courage yet to do it? Or maybe you know you need to break off that unhealthy relationship that you're still in, but you just haven't done it. Or maybe you know God wants you to put them first in your finances, but you just haven't done it yet. You want to, but you haven't. And whenever we want to and we haven't, here's what we're doing. We're believing that original lie. We're living in our own strength and our own power, and we're not trusting God. God wants to lead our lives to places of blessing, but we must listen and then follow. We must have the faith to obey. So let's get back to our story. As the drought happens uh, in Israel, look at what happens to the, the, the brook where Elijah was. Here's what it says. This is called the dry brook, verse 7. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Here's what's real interesting in this part of the story. It's a reality that you and I know, is that often the sins of other people, they affect us, don't they? That, that the wrong of other people, even if we're doing right, it often still touches us. It still affects us. And this is what Elijah experiences. Ahab and Jezebel, right? They're the evil ones. But their sin affected a whole nation. And it affected Elijah as well. And so here's, here's the lesson in this part of the story. If you're taking notes, write this down. Even when you're doing the right thing, difficulty can come. Even when you're living right, 
even when you're honoring God, even when you've had faith, difficulty can come. I mean, Elijah was where God wanted him to be, yet now he doesn't even have water to be able to live. You see, don't believe the lie that being a Christian means you will be immune from all difficulty. That's not biblical Christianity. That's some sort of weird thing that's honestly just been around over the last like hundred years or so. Is this weird idea that if you make Jesus your choice, you can drive a Rolls Royce. Right? Like everybody that follows Jesus is happy, happy and wealthy and, you know, you'll never be sick. And if you're sick, you'll always be healed. Really? Always? Because doesn't everybody die? So, I mean, even if Jesus heals you now, at some point you will get sick and die, right? Like that's kind of what happens for everybody. So everybody's not wealthy and happy and healthy all the time. That's just not real Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. You see, here's what the Bible teaches. We have no control over the times in our life when the brook runs dry. Sins of other people and our world and the fallen brokenness of our world, at times, it will affect us. But what we do have control over is what we do when it happens. That's what we have control over. What do we do when the brook dries up in our life? What do we do when the brook of our health dries up? What do we do when the brook of money dries up and all of a sudden, you know, we can't buy happiness or security any longer? What do we do when the, the brook of a marriage or a friendship dries up and now we feel like we're all alone or we're having to start over again? You see, God doesn't cause those kind of difficulties in our life necessarily, but he always wants to use them. And ultimately, God wants to use them to help us trust in him, not just the gifts or the blessings why did God take that away from Elijah? I mean, Elijah probably would have been happy there, right? I mean, if you or I were him and you knew a king with all the resources that possibly could exist wanted you dead, he probably would go, you know what? This little canyon, nobody knows I'm here. This is all right. Come on, God, let's just stay here. This is, this is working out well. The whole bird thing, I'm down with it now. It's happening it's working. This is safe. But why did God take it away from Elijah? Because he's trying to teach Elijah to simply trust in God, not just trust in his gifts and his blessings. And so sometimes in our life, when the gift of our health goes away, when the gift of resources goes away, when the gift of relationship goes away, God didn't necessarily cause it, but he will always use it. And he will use it to teach us ultimately to trust in him, not just to trust in his gifts and in his blessings. You see, even when the brook dried up, God was still with Elijah and teaching him to rely on him. The next part of the story is pretty amazing. Let's read through it. This is called the depleted barrel. Here's what it says, uh, in, starting in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Now again, we have to pause. Because to Elijah, this would have sounded crazy. He's a Jewish believer. And God tells him to go to a foreign city, to an outsider of his faith. And he tells him to go to a widow. In, ancient, in this ancient world, widows were drastically poor. Unless a family member took them in, they, they lived at the very bottom of barely surviving in this ancient society. And so God says, hey, Elijah, I got you. Go to a poor outsider. 
Again, this just would have sounded crazy. But Elijah once again listened, obeyed, and followed God's leading. Let's keep reading. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrives at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Hey, would you please please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her again. Uh, Would you bring me a bite of bread too? Now, let's pause. I know this seems strange, and probably to some of you this seems sexist. But let me just be clear. This is cultural, and this is custom, what's happening here. He is a guest in a foreign land, in a foreign city. And it is not uncommon in this part of the world at this time in history for you to serve a foreign traveler as a guest. But what was uncommon was this woman's reply. Look at what she says. So he asked for a drink and some food, and she said, I swear by the Lord your God. Your God's not my God, but I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Do you hear her desperation? Now remember what's happening in the land. The brook dried up where he was because why? Let's start over. Hey, today we're going to talk about, no, I can go as long as you can, all right? No, what was, what was happening in the land? The drought, right? The drought is in full effect, remember? No rain, no crops, no crops, no food, no food, chaos. This woman's experiencing the chaos of a drought. She has nobody to help her out. She's literally knows she's come to the point there is no more hope she literally was going to go and make the last bit of food and then say now we're going to starve and now we're going to die but elijah said to her look at his first words to her this is awesome he says don't be afraid don't be afraid god's first word to the widow through elijah is don't be afraid now her present crisis She should be very afraid, right? But what God was doing was inviting her to replace her fear with trust in him. Even with the widow, God's saying, okay, you're you're fearful, you're going to die. And that's a real, real fear. But the test God puts in front of her is crazy. Look at this. So Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. In other words, make your last meal. But make a little bread for me first. Are you serious? <laughs> did, if I'm hurt, did you not just hear the first part? There's only enough for me and him. And you're like, but that's all right. Serve me first. Then, so Elijah says, serve me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will be enough flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops to grow again. So she did as Elijah said. Can you believe she actually did this? 
I mean, I, let's be honest. I think most of us at this point would have treated Elijah like we treat solicitors on Saturday morning at our house, right? Let's be honest. Like, you know what you do. Like, like knock on the door Saturday. If you have the ring doorbell, you look at the video, somebody's standing there with a clipboard, you mute the TV. Kids come running down the stairs. You're like, shh, don't, but somebody's at the door. Nobody's there. Shh, don't, right? You're like, I'm not going to talk to them. Or if you do open the door, you're like, oh, dear Lord. And you know, you're like, no, I'm sorry. Can't, just can't do it. Yet she does what he says. You see, it was, as you're going to see, it was her faith and obedience that allowed her to experience a miracle as well. That was the test God put in front. Yeah, you know what? You could eat your last meal and die. Or you can trust this crazy Jewish outsider that says he follows the one true God. And maybe there's a chance. And she exercised her faith. What, was, what did she have to do? She had to put him first, right? This is always the way God works, friends, and growing our faith, right? God, it didn't say like, hey, go back, and the jar will be filled with oil, and the container's going to be full of flour, and then you'll know, and, and then, it, then it'd be easy to serve Elijah, right? It'd be like, whoa, look at all that. Well, of course I'll make his first, because now there's plenty it was a test. Are you willing to put God first? And if you'll act on faith, a blessing will follow. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened for her. Look at this. This is awesome. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. You see, God fulfilled his promise to the widow, her son, and Elijah God used her as a channel of supply, and once she was willing to be used by God, then her needs were met as well. And so here's the lesson. If you're taking notes, write this down. The lesson is this. Step out in faith and use what God has given you. Step out in faith and use what God has given you. The widow didn't have much, but what she had, she willingly gave trusting that this Jewish man's God would provide. And this is the way it works. In God's economy, the way to receive is to give. The way to prosper is to be generous. The way to get a blessing is to bless someone else. This is always God, how God works. He's waiting on us to act in faith, to step out and trust him at his word. And when we do, he promises to provide and he promises to bless. And so here is my question for you. What has God already given you that he's asking you to give? What has God already given you that he's asking you to bless with, that he's inviting you to serve? Is it your time? Is it some of your resources? God wants you to experience him as your provider. He wants to do miracles on your behalf, but God's blessing is almost always in response to our faith. Well, let's wrap this story up with the last section of verses. And the story actually takes quite a dramatic twist here at the end of chapter 17. Look at this. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally, he died. 
Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins? I mean, that's not the happy ending I think we'd all expect, right? But that's the end of the story. Thanks for coming. Let's close in prayer. Wouldn't that be horrible if that was both the end of the story and the end of the service today, right? The lesson is God does miracles, but then sometimes you die. That's the, that's the lesson. Thanks for, like, it is just a horrible spot. You don't see that twist coming, but yet it happens. It, this just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like that's how the story should end. And good news, it's not how the story ends. Let's finish chapter 17. But Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried, her, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and he laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. Elijah prayed with great faith and desperation to God. He stretches his body over the lifeless body of this child, almost as a sense of God, would you take even my life to restore life to this child? He brought this seemingly unexplainable and irredeemable tragedy, right? One of those moments in life, and we've all probably had moments in life, where we just go, God, I don't see you in any of this. Have you ever had that feeling? God, there's no way you're, I mean, God, where in the, there's nothing good that could come out of this. That's where Elijah finds himself. That's where this widow finds herself. He, he prays this prayer, and then look at what happened. This is awesome. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Two things happen here at the end. I hope you caught it. It's the culmination of both the widow's faith and Elijah's. Do you hear her last words? It wasn't your Lord any longer. What did she say? The Lord. In other words, what she has seen and experienced has caused her to have faith in the one true God. There's this culmination of her faith. God took the unexplainable, what seemed irredeemable, and he used it to grow her faith. And then we see the culmination of Elijah's faith. Think about Elijah up to this point in the story. Everything Elijah had done had only been after God told him to do it. This is the first time in Elijah's story that we see him exercising his own confidence in God. In other words, Elijah was crazy enough to believe that if God could make it stop raining to show a king how wrong he is, If God could bring him food from blackbirds, ravens, if God could miraculously make a little oil and flour just reappear every single day, maybe that same God could bring a dead boy back to life. He was crazy enough to believe that. And God did it. And here's the final lesson for us in the story. Write this down if you're taking notes. The final lesson is this. Believe and ask God to do the impossible. Be somebody 
that believes and asks God to do the impossible. This is what it means to fully rely on God and trust him. It's the ability to say, God, I believe you can do it even when it's never been done and even when it seems impossible. And so here's my closing question to you under this point. What or who in your life have you given up on because it seems impossible? I mean, is there a dream? Is there a, a, a desire that you've given up on because you think, you know what, that could never be a reality? I couldn't start that business now. I mean, I'm too old. I got too many other things going. I don't have the resources. I don't have the capital to be able to start that. I could, I mean, that, that desire, like I could, I could never do that now. Or is it a friend or a family member that you used to pray for? But I mean, it just, it just seems impossible. They're, they're never going to come to faith in Jesus. I mean, it just, it, it's been too long. It's probably too far gone. You might think that a marriage is too far gone, that all the love is dead, or that your health is too far gone, or you're losing the battle for your health. Whatever it is, here's what I want to encourage us to do. Let's be people of faith that believe and pray for God to do the impossible. Why? Because we've learned to trust him in the little things. And this is what you see in Elijah, and this is how faith works in all of our lives. That God speaks to us, we listen, we obey, and our faith grows. And as we listen and obey and follow and our faith grows, all of a sudden the things that seem impossible don't seem impossible any longer. And so this week, Jesus' people, you realize we believe in a Savior that rose from the dead, right? Is everybody, are we all on the same page on that one? Like we believe some crazy stuff. And if we believe that God did that, I promise you he can do whatever you're praying for. That he can meet that need. That he'll do it in a way that grows your faith and helps you trust him. I'm going to invite the band to come back out. Uh, We're going to receive communion together. uh, And then they're going to lead us in a song. And then after that song, we'll come back out uh, and close us. Um, I'm going to invite the ushers both in the room and outside. Uh, If you go ahead and just get... You were offered communion elements when you walked in. Uh, If you didn't get those, ushers, go ahead, up and down all the aisles, if you would. If you didn't get those, just wave wave them down, uh, hold a hand up, and they will uh, definitely come serve you. I don't see anybody. Do we have anybody, usher, that could come down this side? I don't see anybody over here. Any of that team? Oh, there we go. Thank you. Um, Yeah, if you need one, they'll come up and down. Just kind of wave at them there. Uh, They'll serve you. Just hold it in your hand. Don't receive it yet. As they're doing that, if you're at home watching, run to the pantry. Grab some bread, grab a cracker, grab some juice, grab some wine. Uh, I'm going to talk about this for a minute just before we do it. Uh, so just hold those elements uh, if you would. Uh, we practice open communion here. That simply means you don't have to be a member to receive communion right now. You don't have to have gone to a special class. If you would like to participate in this reminder of what Jesus did for us, the bread representing his body broken for us, the cup representing his blood poured out to cover our sin, remembering that we have an overcoming victorious Savior who loves us. If you want to participate in this, you are welcome to do so. Now, as you uh, just hold those elements in your hand, I'm going to invite everybody to stand with me. Everybody here inside, parent viewing rooms, outside on the patio. If you'd stand and just hold those Let me tell you one other cool 
fact from the story that we just read. This dead boy is resurrected, brought back to life. Did you know in the Bible there's only 10 times? There's 10 people that were dead that God chose to show his power by bringing them back to life, and this boy is the first. He's the first one. Now, we know as we come to the Lord's table in communion that the greatest story in Scripture of somebody dead coming back to life is the resurrected Christ, and that we are forgiven and free because Christ took our sin upon the cross, and then when he was put in the tomb three days later, he rose again, guaranteeing us new life now, forgiveness, but also new life to come. And as Christians, we believe and Christians have believed for a couple thousand years that when Christ returns again, scripture says that the dead in Christ, those who, are, who have gone before that have believed, they will rise again and meet him in the air. You can imagine that dramatic scene, right? That this is what scripture says. And that then those who are in Christ that we will rule and reign with Christ forever in this new heaven and new earth as God originally intended to be. And so when we come to communion, here's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that, yes, we're forgiven, but we're also celebrating that God has this amazing redemption plan for the whole world. And he invites us to be a part of it right now with him. And so in this moment, I'm going to give us a, a time to... Uh, like pray and kind of personal reflect before I lead us in receiving these elements together. And here's what I want to ask you to consider as you receive these elements. If we believe in a God who can raise a boy from the dead back to life and a savior who took our sin and was resurrected and that one day we'll rule and reign with him on earth as he originally intended it to be. If we believe all that, can you believe God to do the impossible thing in your life this week? I think you can. And so in this moment of silent prayer and reflection, here's what I want you to do. Is there a step of obedience that God has spoken to you that you haven't taken? Commit right now. Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm committing this week. That thing you've asked me to do, that, 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 that invitation that seems crazy, step out in faith and see God meet you there. That thing that you've been praying for, believe God for the impossible and trust him. Let's take a moment of silent prayer and reflection and then I'll lead us in re receiving the elements together. If you go ahead and open that first little piece of plastic up, get the bread in your hand, The, the first communion was during a meal with Jesus and his disciples. They were Jewish. They were celebrating the Passover, their liberation from Egypt. In their history, that's what the Passover meal was all about. The time that God had spared them at the beginning in the nation of Israel, the, the different plagues that uh, came to Egypt. And in the middle of a meal celebrating their past liberation, Jesus speaks to the future liberation found in him when he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. Let's eat the bread and remember our freedom in Christ together. And if you'll open the cup, Christ took a cup of wine, said this cup is the new covenant 
That means new promise. He said, my blood poured out for you. Let's drink the cup and remember our forgiveness in Jesus. We're going to worship together through one last song. It's called King of Kings. It's a great song that speaks to this freedom that we have in Christ, what Christ has done, what Christ is going to do. And I want us to sing this out as our closing prayer. And I, want to, I, I pray that it fills you with faith for that impossible thing you need to believe God for this week. So let me pray for us, then we'll worship together, and then I'll come back and dismiss us after that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you invite us to learn to trust you one simple step at a time. God, that you don't ask us to go straight from not believing to praying for the dead to come back to life. But God, you invite us one step at a time to trust you. And with each step, our faith grows. And so, Lord, this week, I pray that as every one of us are faced with opportunities and decisions to rely on ourselves or to trust in you, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to rely on your strength and your power? And would we partner with you in your good work in the world where we live, work, and play? God, you are the King of Kings, and we worship you now through this song. Amen. Let's sing together.